0: Welcome to Peace of Authenticity for the Remnant. We are so excited that you chose to spend your time with us today.
1: A remnant is a piece that remains. This is a podcast for the remnant rising in this hour. The remnant is a group of people who seek Jesus like it's their last hope because he is.
0: In this podcast, we encourage, equip, and champion you to rise up and take a stand for Christ in the world that we live in. Something that is a passion of ours is truly reading the Word of God in the proper context so that you get everything out of it that is intended.
1: We are in a six-part series that will equip you to read the Bible in the way that it was intended to be read. And we're teaching these lenses and truths from Brad Gray's ebook, which is called The Number One Mistake Most Everyone Makes Reading the Bible.
0: So as we always say, don't be afraid to join in on the conversation. Hey guys. What's going on everybody? So,
1: I know this is going to be a really good episode because of the difficulties yeah. that we have well, had trying we, to get this recorded.
0: Yeah, we've had so many technical difficulties trying to to get everything to line up the way that we want it to go. But first and foremost <laughs> this, is, this is the third time, fourth no, time. This yeah. is the fourth time that we've done we've done this. Our camera kept But we dying are still excited about it. Yeah, but we're still excited about the shirts. I I feel like it's just a rerun. But hey, we're going to put these, the t-shirt orders, there's white and there's black and you can order one, piece of authenticity. Yes,
1: there will be um, the order form that you fill out online. It will be in the show notes. You can click on it. And so for the people in the podcast, it will be on the show notes. And so you can actually see what the shirts look like. And also you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook because we've been posting a lot of pictures on how the shirts look and they look great. And we're really excited about it.
0: For sure. So, yeah, the difficulties have been real today. But guess what? It's cool because it's July 5th. Yesterday, Go America. Hopefully, nobody had a backup Terry moment um, with fireworks. (laughs) If you haven't seen that video, you can Google it. Just Google backup Terry. And uh, yeah, so. But in reverse, Terry. (laughs) Hopefully, none of that happened to any of y'all. You popped fireworks and spent time with family, (laughs) and it was good. Go America. So now let's okay, get. Okay,
1: that was obviously a spiel that you need to just get out. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm I'm very happy to be an American. So
1: I'm proud to be. Now
0: nah, I don't want to say proud. That's I don't want pride.
1: Okay, I'm humbled to be. <laughs> okay, no, all right. but it's cool. Seriously, now. So
0: we've been talking about reading the Bible in context, mm-hmm. and if you remember, Jordan and I went to. Um, the, the Bible conference in Nashville, where we, where we learned how to lead, how to, how to lead, how to read the Bible in its original context. And so there are multiple lenses and, and we're going to, Brad Gray wrote a book on it. And so we're going to put it. Into the the section, the comment section, or whatever down there.
1: The show notes.
0: Show notes. Boom. That's, That's what, what it's called. called. Yeah. So we're gonna put that in there. So there's there's six different lenses in which we are supposed to use to put the Bible into context. So when right? you read
1: a scripture, or you should read a chapter. <laughs> Why did I interrupt you? You're kind of.
0: Well, no, I'm just like, where are we go? I I was. I was ready to explain these. No, six I things. know, but I
1: just feel like it needed to be more in context. No pun intended. When you open your word and you look at the scripture, this is what you need to look through. So go on.
0: I I really felt like I said that same thing. So if I didn't, my bad. I don't, just, yes. Yeah. So here we go. So here we go. The first one that we're going to talk about today is historical, like Mm -hmm. right? Historical significance. You have cultural, you have geographical, visual, linguistic, and literary. Those are all the the different terms and we're going to go through there one step at a time Mm -hmm. so that everybody's on the same page so that that way everybody is reading the Bible in its original context and we're all learning more and more each day. Mm -hmm. And so today we're going to start out with historical. And Jordan has a lot to share. Jordan's been diving in on this stuff, but before we get into that, I just want to explain something just really fast in in the bible oftentimes the authors that we are reading they will give us hints in scripture as to the time frame that they're writing this in or the the time frame that they're at and so like for instance Luke right who who was greek and and he's writing in in his the gospel right there right you know in front of John right behind Mark right Luke and he's talking about the story of Christ and, and the birth of Christ and everything like that. And he specifically says, in the time of Caesar Augustus. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that? Because he's trying to give you context as to what's happening in the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the time. Which that,
1: honestly gives it a whole new meaning when yeah, you look it up.
0: Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, just the just the the simple fact of if you look up Caesar Augustus and and you look up what he was about and what he called himself. Like he called himself you know, the son of God Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. and the the prince of peace and all these other things, which is what we actually know Jesus as. Yeah, we know (laughs) Jesus as. And so it was just kind of like it it matters a a bunch when you're putting it into context that Mm -hmm. Jesus was born at that time because there was a counterfeit prince of peace and Mm -hmm. there was a counterfeit Mm -hmm. son of God that was that was marching around the world. And the real one was about to come onto the scene. And so when we read Scripture, pretty much any time you go through there, there will be little clues in Mm -hmm. what you're reading so that you can tie that specific segment, chapter, book back to a certain place and a certain time.
1: Well, and something we always need to realize too whenever we're reading the Word is every single detail is intentional.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and that's definitely, well, yeah, I think when the, when the Bible says that, that everything, you know, is inspired Mm -hmm. by God, you know, Mm -hmm. it's God breathed that we learn from the writings of Paul, that there was nothing that was put in there that was on accident. Like the the wording, the verbiage, how he said things was very intentional. Mm -hmm. Even his illustrations were very intentional. Yeah. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you got to just figure out the fact that the whole Bible is like that. (laughs) And so we were going to start out in today. Actually, Jordan was reading across this, and then we kind of both just started diving into it. But what we're going to talk about today starts out in Judges four.
1: Yes, about Deborah. Yeah, and Barak and JL, who's like a gangster. I can never do what JL did. And so let's—I'm not going to read it word for word, but let's let's go through a bit of what happens in Judges four and five. And so what happens? Oh, I'm sorry, I just skipped past judges. What happens is at the time, Deborah is, that's why this is in the book of Judges, because there are certain judges the Lord brought into um, Israel for the time being of when Israel did in fact need a judge, which is a mouthpiece of God. And so if Oh, there it is. Yes. At this time, Deborah was the judge of Israel. So she would sit under a palm tree and people would come and ask her questions and um, hear from the Lord, certain things like that. And, and she so, a prophetess. Yes. So, um, Aubrey, can you actually read the excerpt where Barak, um, she has that conversation with him about needing to step up against the um, Canaanites? Because I, I want that to be word for word. Um, if you go with me, go up. When she tells him what to do. The Lord. Right there.
0: Okay, so so it's in Judges mm-hmm. four and it starts out in verse six, yeah. right? So yeah. she sent for Barak, son of Ab- <laughs> Abinoam, <laughs> I guess. Okay, cool. From Kadesh Leboim, in Nephtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you ten thousand men of Nephtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead I will lead Sisera the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon river and give him into your hands.
1: And so with that, who says Sarah is, he's the lead commander of the Canaanites. The, Canaanite and the Canaanites yeah. are one of the, uh, actually many groups of people that were occupying the promised land whenever Moses and Joshua, you know, were leading the Israelites to defeat them so they could take over the promised land because it was theirs. The Lord gave it to the Israelites. So um, this is kind of a long story going. And so what you see is if you back it up, right, in Exodus, Moses said that the Lord says, whenever we go into the promised land, there are people that we literally need to just end. Okay. Um, they are people, Just kill them. Yeah. Because they worship other gods, and the Lord knew, right? Because the Lord knows everything. He knew that whenever, if the Israelites went into the promised land and lived with the Canaanites, lived with the um, uh, Moab, Moab, Moabites, Moabites. There it is. Yeah. Uh huh. And a few others, that the Israelites would actually fall into the worshiping of other gods, just like they did. They were not monotheistic. They were polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they could list them for you. They worship so many gods. And so that's kind of the the background with the Canaanites and in the Israelites here. So um, the Israelites ended up not killing off all the Canaanites, Amorites, uh, Moabites, all of them, right? And so you'll see throughout the Bible, they literally have issues with them throughout everything because you get repercussions, right, when you don't fully obey the Lord. And so... Um, they're having issues with the Canaanites here in Judges War. And so Deborah yeah. said, this is what the Lord says, Barak, you need to go and pretty much battle the Canaanites. And she's very, very detailed by what the Lord says. Now, only Nephtali and Zebulun. Zebulun are the only two tribes in Israel that he needs to pull from. And there only needs to be 10,000 warriors, mm. right? And so Barack says to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like, you seem like the lady that knows all the things. So I need you to go with me. And she pretty much said, okay, I'll go with you. Sure. Uh, but just know that the person that actually will defeat Cicera is a woman. So that's what's going to go down.
0: <laughs> so when you, when you're understanding the historical significance of what we're talking about right now, as as many of you probably already know but i'm just going to assume that you don't women did not hold high places of power yeah. in in the jewish culture they they were they weren't in charge of armies they weren't in charge of anything so the lord using deborah in this time it has huge historical significance. And not only that, but she says, she delivers this prophetic word to Barak and says, you need to take these 10,000 men, go to this mountain. And the Lord says, I'm going to lead your enemies. uh, I'm going to deliver your enemies into your hands. But then even further in verse eight, Barak says, uh, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go so then the the significance climbs even higher because then you have a man in the tribe of Israel right that that is ask that is basically saying, "You know hey i know that I know that you're a woman, but if you don't come with me i'm not I'm not gonna go- mm-hmm. you know like so so he was leaning on her, which <laughs> completely just blows up all the all the things you know you think about in your mind, especially in biblical times mm-hmm. and, and the way that the men fought in wars, women didn't. Women just did not fight in wars. And here we have Barack saying, Deborah, you got this word from the Lord, but if you don't come with me, I'm not gonna go. Mm-hmm. And so the historical uh, aspect of it really brings a whole new yeah. realm of understanding and being like, wow, you know, God, you know, we, we you talk about in biblical times, God using Samuel who was a little kid and using Deborah who was a woman at the time that that women weren't thought of very highly in the Israel, you know, in the Jewish culture, and so it just like it just blows your mind at what God's yeah. like. I'm gonna I'm about to just. Blow the top off this thing.
1: <laughs> and then, um so this is exactly what Deborah says whenever he asks for her to go with him. She's like, Certainly I'll go with you Um, but she said, because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So, um, I actually almost want to read word for word. I might skip some, some names, but I think it's important that you know exactly what goes down. Okay. So it says, uh, so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, right? And then, um, he, he summoned those two tribes of Israel and they came together, 10,000 men. And it said, Deborah went with him. Now, um, is talking about uh, where the the Canaanites were, right? And so a little bit about them. So um, when they told Sarah that Barak, son of that name you said earlier, Aubrey, <laughs> had gone up to Mount uh, Tabor, Sarah uh, summoned from uh, – why am I all these words, guys? Oh, whoa. <laughs> Okay, to the Kishon River, all of his men and his nine hundred chariots. So, listen, did you hear that? So the Canaanites had nine hundred chariots fitted with iron people. That's nine thousand chariots, which also means that's not talking about the men that are walking on their feet. Okay, and I bet you there are. It's actually there's um, there's an estimate of the number. So go ahead and read that. Yeah, we were doing so we were here.
0: we were doing research over this because like if you're gonna if you're gonna take the biblical the biblical stories right and yeah. then you actually add historical documents into it we're looking at this so there's 10,000 men from from Israel from two different tribes there's Zebulun and Naphtali mm-hmm. that 10,000 men and on the other side on the Canaanite side there they have 900 iron chariots which Therefore, it takes it. There's oh, two people. I thought people. it was nine
1: thousand iron. Chariots.
0: No, nine hundred.
1: So sorry, people. I said yeah. nine thousand.
0: But each each chariot had two riders. You had the one that was leading the the team of horses, yeah. and then you had an archer on there. Which the tribe of Israel had zero chariots, and and these are iron. Like yeah. so, it would have been about like the time in whenever the the iron side ships came about. You know, and people yeah, were shooting this... cannonballs, and they were just bouncing off of them. Yeah. These are iron chariots. So they're they're pretty cool.
1: They'll kill
0: people. You know, I can't no, even talk. They'll they'll take you down. <laughs> but see, but see, understanding that in and of itself helps you understand what time period of the Bible we're dealing with, and how, and it adds more important supporting details to the story, like yeah, just um, the fact that that the Canaanites had these iron chariots, and Israel did not have access to that same technology yet. And
1: this is the late Bronze Age, and so the Canaanites were some of the first ones that really took on the whole metal and iron. Um, yeah, yeah, metal weapons, even and and everything like that. And so they were way above the times compared to the Israelites, even weaponry, but also yeah. in number, they were way way higher than the Israelites on all aspects of that. But you remember, the Lord said very clearly, ten thousand men from ten
0: thousand. So those so the Lord tribes. wanted them to be outnumbered from the jump.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Because then, okay, so it's 900 iron chariots, right? But then they also had 20,000 infantry. Mm -hmm. So Barack knew part of the reason why I believe he was like, Deborah, you need to come with me is because he couldn't hardly believe what the Lord was asking him to do because he's sitting here going, (laughs) we have 10,000 men. I know that their army is double our size on top of 900 chariots. So clearly in in a in a military mindset right it, there's no way that the Israelites can win like in, in, oh from a yeah, military it, exactly,
1: and that's how the Lord likes for us to be situated, right away. <laughs> and so this is what ends up happening. So Deborah said to Barak, "Go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you?" Hmm. So Barak went down Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, and army by the sword and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. So Barak pursued the chariots and <laughs> army as far as that one name I couldn't say earlier. It's um Harosheth, Harosheth and another word. And all Sarah's troops fell by the sword and not a man was left. Wow. Um and so what happens here is Cesera meanwhile he fled on foot to the tent of Jael, um, the wife of Heber, that the can Kenites. So about them, those were people, they were actually nomadic. They did live in tents, and they actually created the different weapons for the different armies. And so they didn't technically have a side they because played both they sides. made money from both sides creating um, weapons. Okay. Jail, so,
0: Jail was basically an arms dealer.
1: Well, and what's interesting about that is I had to look that up. Yeah. Okay. Um, Because that is a thing about the Kenite tribe that that they were just talking about here. So see, just a tiny little fact. They were from the Kenite tribe. Look those things up because they'll tell you more things. Okay. And so he went in there and Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. He wasn't. Remember, because these people created his weapons, So he's like, oh, of course, these are my safe haven. And so he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a, a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. I thought that was interesting that he's like, can I have water? She's like, you can have milk because I'm in control right now. Um, stand in the doorway of the tent. He told her if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. So J.L. Uh, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg, Ooh, this gets, this gets a little morbid, guys. And a hammer and went quietly to him, Cicera, so while he laid fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died.
0: Boom. <laughs> so then um, we follow. We so followed, that's
1: the woman Deborah was talking about. Yeah, we way. follow
0: that. We follow <laughs> Deborah's prophecy where she says that Cicera won't be delivered into your hand, but he will be delivered into the hand of a woman. Basically, um— Making that prophetic word come true, therefore making not only the defeat of the Canaanites but then the follow through prophetic word, making God right on all sides
1: mm-hmm. and and something that just hit me too um, Whenever you want your child to go to sleep, sometimes you will give them milk, right? Because it's thick consistency and actually makes you tired. So maybe that was her intentions whenever he asked him for, for water to give her milk. I just thought of that. So just ask the Lord these questions. He might bring certain things to your attention. You never know. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to go into the history of the Canaanites, exactly who they were and a few things that they believed. And so um, these are these are some of the history and some of the facts of the Canaanites back in the day. So like we said, this is the late Bronze um, age, and you can look that up, okay? And it'll talk about how they they were master traders. The Canaanites were because they weren't necessarily farmers; they really were um, just traders, known by being traders, right? Well, and
0: I think it, the way the way that it describes Canaanites, it kind of sounds like America. In oh, yeah. When the, I the start la-
1: reading a little bit more about them, you're gonna be like. Whoa. (laughs) Like Some of their different. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So just just hear some of this. So here's a quote about the Canaanites. And this is from worldhistory.org. Okay, so it says they worked in stone, but built no structures and had a religious belief system. But what it consisted of is unknown. So it seems like these people had a lot of hollow beliefs. And they also weren't truly um, measuring up to certain things that they could have done. Like, they worked in stone, but built no structures. So what are you? (laughs) What? Anyways, um, and then talks about the Canaanites were most likely never politically united into a single kingdom. They were made up of different ethnic groups. Does this sound like America? Um, There is no record of any king ruling a unified nation in Canaan, but only of men governing their own city states. So depending on the strength of a city's ruler and that city's resources, a community would prosper or fail. So they couldn't really count on each other unless there was someone coming to take over all of their land, like in this instance right here in Judges 4. So they actually did come together in this time because all of their land was going to be taken. But let's just say that they were going to, the Israelites were just taking over one town. All the other Canaanites would be like, ah, sucks to be you. Anyways, going back to everyday life. That's kind of the mindset that the Canaanites had. Okay. So this is another interesting thing too, because the Lord was very um, intentional whenever he told the Israelites, do not mingle. With the canaanites amorites moabites do not mingle with them because they worship many other gods and you will fall into that temptation to worship many other gods and so when you read about the canaanites they were very influenced by different cultures they they were um, trading with egypt so they were very influenced by egyptian cultures and uh, mesopotamia in every single country that they traded with whenever archaeological digs Um, happened there were all I feel like the Canaanites were a people that truly didn't know their true identity they just kind of took a little bit of that took oh I kind of like that I'll take that and it sounds a lot like America as well I feel Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so this is a very interesting statement about the Canaanites whoever the ancient Canaanites were their identity was lost in the successive invasions by foreign people interested in controlling an important hub of commerce and so their identity that was not already firm and not very full, was very much taken by different um, customs, different influences of different countries, and also people coming in and taking over the land. Okay, so Canaanites were an exact example of what God did not want the Israelites to be. Okay, he didn't want them to be swayed in their beliefs and lifestyle by by who they lived with, and beside, and who they worked alongside. So the Canaanites were very much influenced. All around, Okay. And so this is what the Lord told the Israelites word for word in Exodus 23, 32 through 33. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Okay. So whenever I look back at this, the underlying issue in this whole situation is them worshiping other gods. That's the main issue that God has with these people, you know. And so this is, there's very interesting aspects to what has happened in Judges 4. And then Judges 5 5 is Deborah's song. And so it actually gives more detail into the war. It's a song that people sang in victory, right? Whenever the Israelites won this battle against the Canaanites. And so you end up finding out what happened in this battle whenever, because it it was kind of sudden in Judges 4, whenever all of a sudden the Israelites turned and and were in control over the Canaanites, and you're kind of wondering what happened, right? So what ended up happening is the Lord sent such a torrential rain on them that it it overflooded the banks of the Kishon Kishon River, right? That's what it was called, and and these metal. Uh, chariots were stuck in the mud. And so they freaked out jumped, out, jumped out of the chariots and ran, right? Because if you can't move your chariot and someone's coming to kill you, you're going to jump off your chariot and you're going to run. And so there's something very interesting about this because there are um, so many gods that the Canaanites worship, but I'm going to tell you about three of them. So the first god is Baal, and he is known as the god of rain. Let me just... Let me do- yeah. <laughs> so what did God do to defeat the Canaanites? He let it rain, people. And so it looked like their beloved god, Baal, turned on them, right? And then what ended up happening is they actually had a god named Yahweh. They, they really did. And I, I, looked, I looked it up and everything. It's the god of – Aubrey, help me with this word because I mess up every single time. Metal, metaldry. <laughs> metaldry.
0: Yeah, so it's basically working with metal.
1: Yes, it's the properties of metal and production. Okay, right. So we're in the late Bronze Age. So, of course, they had to create a god for the metals because they're beloved metal. So they have a god named Yahweh. How dare mm-hmm. they, right? And so what happened to their metal chariots? It turned on them because it sun- they sunk because they were too heavy in the mud. Right. And so um, another thing that happens in um, Judges five, it talks about Sisera's mother and it talks about her looking out the window, waiting for her son to come home. And honestly, I was like, oh, so sad. But there's a reason why this was in the song of Deborah and Judges five, because they also have a goddess that um, was known by the Canaanites. And she was the goddess that was always perched by a window, looking out the window. So it talks about Sisera's mother sitting there looking out the window, waiting for her son to come home. So I'm going to read this word for word that's in this, which of course, all of the information that I found, I'm going to put in the show notes, the different um, websites that I found this on. Okay. So, so Sarah's mother, the image of a woman watching at a window had special significance for the people listening to this story. It was a common image of the goddess in Canaanite religion. So Sarah's mother is the mother of something that is already dead. Although she does not realize it, even the wisest of the people in Canaanite religion do not realize the truth. The text implies that Canaanite religion is also dead, though its followers have not realized the fact. So so Cicera's mother, it's it's extremely poetic, actually. Cicera's mother is sitting there looking out the window waiting for her son to come home. Little does she know that he is not coming home because he was killed by Jael. And so that's exactly what it's like in the religion with the Canaanites because they're waiting and they're believing in something that is dead and it was never there, right? And so this is something Aubrey and I were having a conversation because I was like, oh, it's like they're gods. It, it's like the Lord turned this, right? Because they put all their faith and their hope in all these gods. Well, it looked like the gods turned on them. And I was like, if you think about it in a certain way, maybe like the gods of today, the things that we – spend more time with than God and all these different things that it can turn on us. And Aubrey said, Well, let's reword it this way that our gods will be exposed. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's a really good way to word it because you're like, it gives it too much power to say that the gods, you know, the things that we see as idols will turn on us, right?
0: Yeah. I I think that by recognizing them as turning on see, Sisera and them, the the their god of the rain yeah betrayed them. Yeah. Baal betrayed them, so all they go to fight the Israelites. Their chariots, their their symbol of power, right? Yeah, The, exactly. the chariot which gave them power over their enemies because they were more uh, technolo- technologically advanced at mm-hmm. that time with iron chariots. They're they're stuck in the mud. So Baal is against them at that moment, and then the the God of of the metal or the iron or whatever the chariots are made out of becomes non existent. Yeah. Because because they're stuck in the mail, like he, he they're stuck in the mud. He has no opportunities there. So, what what the the point is is when when we say oh well well their gods turned on them like we're actually recognizing that their gods were real in the first place.
1: Yeah yeah. <laughs> and
0: um so basically what God does in such a rich fashion as I believe I love reading mm-hmm. the Old Testament because <laughs> God is constantly flipping the script on everybody and just exposing false gods for what they are. This isn't the first time that God put Baal on blast. Right. (laughs) I mean, think think about Elijah. Think, mm-hmm. You know, thing about the, prophets of, the of Baal, prophets of Baal when yeah. he called the fire down from heaven, and then the crowd that was watching killed all eight hundred and something prophets of Baal because God exposed it. Yeah, God exposed the 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 false narrative that they were trying to build up. And and what's funny is I, you look through the Old Testament and you constantly see Israel coming up against all these false gods and all these different religions. And they are sure that they're, they're outnumbered every time. And, and, but God always finds a way to come out on in a historical fashion. Not only does Israel hardly ever lose anybody in the battles, but then the, the other people that they're fighting run away with their tail tucked between their legs, really exposed to the fact that our gods who we worship, who we sacrifice to, who we do all this nonsense for,
1: Have pretty much been exposed. (laughs) Yes, has
0: has pretty much been exposed as well. You know, they're 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 not coming to your aid at all.
1: You know, the the beauty of this is like God did. He was the one that was victorious, and the Israelites got to experience it. That's that's what that's what we're seeing in this story, and we're seeing the God that is always more than enough, and the God that if we give Him a little bit, He will take. It away like he will just go to town because think about it. Out of the twelve tribes of Israel, he asked for two to each give five thousand men, probably yeah, ten thousand yeah,
0: men. ten thousand between the two. That's yeah. all the
1: Lord asked, <laughs> and look what he did. I mean, he's so
0: it's, yeah. it's
1: amazing, and 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 I'm telling you, we we're we are no experts. I literally just looked this up because I'm like, you know, this story is really it's really sticking out to me. There's something here. Like I need to learn about these people that were defeated. I need to learn about the history of these people. I need to learn about the history of the, the back and forth issues that Israelites always had with the Canaanites, Amorites, Moabites, um, all of that. And, um, it's it's just it takes it to a whole new level, doesn't it? And this is just one of the lenses. I mean, we got a few cultural bits and pieces too, and things yeah. like that. But
0: and well, so okay, so so, cool. so with th- this just hit me though, right? In Judges six, we have the story of Gideon. Oh, the next story. right right after the story of Deborah, we we have Judges six. We have Gideon. What the parallels there of? Okay, so God tells. Uh, through Deborah, he tells Barak to gather ten thousand men. Is that not how many Gideon had at the beginning? Oh, and, and then, then he dwindled then he it said, down to three. No, that's too, then God said, no, that's too many because you're going to think that with your ten thousand men that you did this on yeah, your own. Yeah, he did say that. I think it. I think it's because um, you know the Lord already knew first of all, but then he's like, you know, I gave Barak ten thousand, ten thousand men, and then eventually they faded. From me as well because they thought that they did it in their own strength. So let me lower the. So number let me lower <laughs> that number all the way down to Gideon and and three hundred men for the next chapter over in Judges six. Wow. But I, I just I just think that the the historical significance, understanding the the Iron Age right toward the end of the Bronze Bronze Age, and and into this that Canaan had their power because of their technology advancements against Israel. And they, and those iron chariots would, would pour fear into the heart of of soldiers against them. And so that's why they remained unchallenged until God says, I'm going to deliver them to you. And it's not because of anything that Israel had done. Mm -hmm. It was just, God was saying, I'm looking out for my children and I'm going to deliver them into your hand and so understanding that historical significance and also understanding the the historical fact that Canaan had those separate gods that look like at the end that they just turned their back on him I can't even imagine being worshiping those those false gods in those moments and literally you're in battle and you probably sacrificed something the day before this battle to these oh, um, to oh, these yeah. false um, things, but they they really believe that they were real, and and so <laughs> you're sitting here, and God goes, okay, you want to worship the God of of the rain? Okay, I'm going to bring rain. <laughs> and He's it's, like, I'll show you, and it's going to take your chariots out, but without understanding the the historical significance of that, and actually looking up. The background of the people of Canaan, Mm -hmm. you don't get the full revelation of how genius and how thought out and how everything that God does is on purpose for a purpose. Because the two of the most important gods in the Canaanite religion, God made it seem as though they had turned their back on their people really so god was just like dude you want to worship the rain you want to worship your your god of of metals and and everything like that then i'm going to expose them and i'm going to show you the frauds that they really are and what the god of israel can mm-hmm. truly do
1: mm-hmm. i'm I, honestly i'm praying the lord does that in america because there's so yeah. many like gods in america and, and idols
0: yeah that need to come down Yeah, and and God does it in such a amazing fashion that you know. So I think the Bible where it talks about so that no man can boast. Mm -hmm. You know, God does things so that no man can boast about it, and it it actually amazes me how often people try. God will deliver them, which is what we were just talking about a second ago with Judges four and five is about Deborah, and then we go to Judges six and. it begins in Judges chapter six is the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord again. There they go again. There they go again. Back into it, but we all we all do that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we all get in our comfort zone and we all begin to to just kind of do things our own way, and then we beg God for help <laughs> whenever we're in bad trouble.
1: I'm in trouble. Yeah, no dip. Like, but.
0: I mean, I hope that that, that that today's episode kind of gave you yeah. a, a small glimpse into how the historical significance of scripture can really open mm-hmm. up your your understanding of of the character of God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that God's not God's not in just in the business of, of looking out for his people. God's in the business of exposing false idols. God's in the business of exposing, Mm -hmm. like what you choose to worship, God's going to use it against you.
1: And he, he is a holy God. Yeah. We, you know, we talk about the God of mercy. Of course he's a God of mercy and a God of love, but he is also a holy, Mm -hmm. just righteous God. And he says, I will have no other gods before me. Yeah. And he showed that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's really cool because, you know, there's a, there's a dual lens when when we look at god our father right like we have the we have the father figure mm-hmm. of of god who who grafted us in as gentiles we've been grafted in to the covenant and i'm so thankful for that every day but we also have to look at the holy fear like we have mm-hmm. to have the reverence for god that's yeah. like dude this this is the god that can destroy a city with pillars of fire you know what I'm saying and mm-hmm. and yet yeah. he chooses a lot of times to have grace and mercy uh on on all of us you know and and he can deliver an army that's twice the size of yours into your hand with like zero to no casualties
1: mm-hmm. all the Lord asks for is a peace that's yeah in a remnant, really, like he can do so much,
0: yeah, so. Uh, I hope that that you had as much fun today learning the background and like kind of the historical significance of Judges four and five. I mean, go go back and and read it yeah. for yourselves. Go go study it for yourselves. Jordan's gonna post some of the things that she found into the the information section on this podcast. But we encourage you, don't don't just take our word for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Please
0: please so. don't ever do that. Don't ever just like listen to the podcast and be like, oh okay, well Aubrey and Jordan said this. Listen. Well yeah, I
1: said they had nine thousand chariots, people. It was nine hundred. Yeah. See, you cannot take my word for things.
0: Yeah. Go go and, and study it for yourself and, and look at different aspects of scripture mm-hmm. and and use that historical lens to kind of bring some more perspective back to okay what people are we talking about here what what is it, like what in history has better significance because if you don't study the history behind it you could have never found what jordan found about all the the gods of Canaan and and everything like that and like what they were worshiped for and how god used their own schemes against them and yeah. exposed them it it just brings that much more understanding to the to the nature of how god does things and and how he can expose false gods and and uh, false idols.
1: And we will also have in the show notes the actual link to this ebook. But Aubrey, can you read yeah. the questions, the history questions, real quick? Just just to end it, because yeah. I just think that's always really cool. Because at the end, when he talks about a lens to look through the Bible through, he actually has some key questions to ask yeah. while you're reading the word. So the
0: so scripture. this is this is at the at the end of the historical section of, of Brad's book. Um, what, what's it called? Walk in the text, or what what is it called? Uh, Uh, Well, I'll tell you here in just a second. But so here's some key questions to ask. What time period are we dealing with? Right? So we talked about this. This was toward the end of the Bronze Age in in Judges 4 and 5 when we're talking about Deborah. What's happening on the world stage? What's happening at a regional level? Mm -hmm. And what's happening at the particular location of this story? And what's happened in the past that's informing these present events so we we touched on all of those things today mm-hmm. talking about how remember in exodus the lord told them to wipe out all these people when they take the promised land they chose not to and hence the issue yeah and they they had to walk i mean you know was to it say you can they made their cake and they had to eat it too you know what i mean well and that so, even
1: makes me want to read because there's i was reading national geographic too and they found a lot of um remains of canaanites and let me tell you guys that um i wish i had the percentage it says um the dna they collected the dna of these canaanites right and there is a ton of the dna that is the exact similar to the jews
0: the jewish people so, so not they only definitely
1: intermingled people. Yeah,
0: not only did they not wipe them out like God asked them to, but then He also asked them not to mingle with these people, not to intermarry with these people, um, and they did that as well. So um, they kind of brought a lot of it on themselves. But this book that Brad wrote, it's an ebook. We're going to put it in the section. You can just access it anytime you want. It's called the number one mistake most everyone makes reading the Bible, and that that's what it's called. And so. Today was about the historical significance and or the, the historical relevance, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And then um, next week will be what is it? Um, right there. Historical, cultural.
1: I like this one. This yeah. one's really cool.
0: So it's going to be good. But thank you guys so much for joining us today. I hope that you learned something. and, and I, I hope, hope you
1: study. Yeah, yeah. I hope through
0: this through this section of, of the six lenses that it helps you understand and dive into the Bible more mm-hmm. and actually learn to read the Bible in context. And because the word tells us to study, to show yourself approved. And so let that be said about us.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. And yeah. We're just excited to keep yeah. going with this. It's awesome. Absolutely. And don't forget about the t shirts. Everything you need will be in the show notes. And make sure Boom. that if you really love this podcast, if you haven't left a review, to do that because it's easier to find when you leave a review. Yeah.
0: And so we will see you we'll guys see next, you next week. week. Bye. Bye, guys.